Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Praise the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So we're through our first week of our 21-day fast. Um, and, you know, for those of you who haven't been on it, you know, it's not too late to join. Um, just to clarify, Daniel fast is really just at the start of this year. It's about us humbling ourselves before God. You know, because we're in a, an environment right now where there's so much finger-pointing and arguing and strife and so many things going on in the world. And I think as the church, we need to come back to a place of humbling ourselves before God and putting our eyes on Him, looking onto Jesus. And I know that there are uh, many other churches doing it as well. And so I, I think it's a wonderful thing for us to fast and pray and humble ourselves before the Lord. And um, I, I didn't announce that it was 21 days last week because I, I, was, I was afraid. I didn't know if I'd make it through the first week. So I said, you know what, we'll just, we may just draw a line in it after a week. Because uh, I've never gone for more than a day without meat or bread or any of these things. But, you know, praise God. I'm still here, still standing. Glory to Jesus. So, praise the Lord. We're going to go for 21, amen? We're going to go for broke. So, um, just as well to, to remind you, like I said, our day of prayer next Saturday, we, we have over 60 uh, churches are going to be involved. We have churches from Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, even Scotland, I believe. And uh, so we're really excited about this. We're going to be praying and lifting up our nation. We're also going to be emailing all of our TDs and asking them if there's anything that they want prayer for personally or whether, uh, you know, what they see in terms of nationally. Because I think it's important as the church that we're not cursing, that we're blessing, and that we, you know, that we keep them lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen? So uh, I'd like you to open your heart to the Word of God today. I believe this message is going to bless you mightily. Amen? And so, Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us uh, through your word in Jesus' wonderful name. So last week, we spoke about back to the cross. This week, I'm talking about back to the Bible. Amen? And, uh, you know, I remember like it, was, like, like it was yesterday. It was 1991. Uh, a few days earlier, I'd just given my life to Jesus in, in um, there was a little fellowship, Pastor Joe and Breda, wonderful people down in Killarney. They had a little uh, prayer group and a little fellowship that turned into a church. But uh, I'd given my life to Jesus Christ um, a few days earlier, and it was in the back kitchen. My mother walked up to me, and she handed me a Bible. And in, 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 her, in her assertive, motherly, uh, Irish motherly way, she gave me the Bible. She said, read that. And it was open at the book of Proverbs. It was my first Bible. And... Um, uh, <laughs> I was only 18 years of age, and um, I, I'd, attended, I'd attended the Catholic Church all of my life, and to be fair, I'd been taught many of the fundamentals of the faith by the Christian brothers, and, um, but I'd never actually read the Bible before. And, but something radical happened to me the night that I received Jesus as my Savior, I was born again, because again, ultimately, Christianity isn't about ritual or religion, rather, it's about a new life. That's why Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. First uh, John chapter 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. 
That which we have heard, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So here, the disciples are saying, this isn't theory. This isn't some abstract theory. This isn't some you know, mystical uh, religious ritual. This is what we have seen, which we have heard, which we have felt, which we have touched. And taste and see that the Lord is good. And suddenly... It seemed like my faith came to life. And as I read the Bible for the first time, I was shocked to discover the Bible didn't just talk about prayer and heaven and being good as I'd expected. It also spoke very frankly about love and sex and marriage and money and honor and integrity. And suddenly I was connected to a fountain of love and truth and my life was never the same again. And you know, the greatest decision I ever made in my life was to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I thank God that as an 18-year-old kid that, uh, you know, that I was handed a Bible, not a trust fund or a beer bottle or the keys to a car or something else, but by God's grace, it was the Bible that, uh, you know, that, that, that gave me hope and direction and a foundation that I could, you know, a, a foundation, I believe, that has withstood the test of time. And, you know, I have no regrets here today as a 47-year-old man, because uh, 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 I look back and I see that was such a crucial time. It was a defining moment when that Bible was put into my hands. Psalm 103, and I want to read it here in the Amplified Bible. Psalm 103, <coughs> and it says, um, Bless, affectionately, gratefully praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is deepest within me. Bless his holy name. And verse 5 it says, Who satisfies your mouth, your necessity and desire at your personal age and situation with good, so that your youth renewed is like the eagle, strong, overcoming, soaring. How many of you are believing this year that your youth is being renewed like the eagle? In Jesus' name. We believe those wrinkles are going to go. Amen. Hallelujah. But we believe, you know what, uh, our, our youth is being renewed. But here we have this promise that he satisfies your mouth, your necessity, and your desire. Isn't that good to know that God doesn't just meet your needs? Amen. Praise God that it says God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But God has promised more. It says who meets your necessity and your desire. Amen. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so here we see a God who knows us so intimately. He knows at which stage of life we are at and what our particular needs are relevant to that particular stage of life that we're in. Who satisfies your mouth, your necessity and desire at your purpose personal age and situation with good so that your youth is like the eagles amen so the youth is renewed like the eagle. So we thank God for that. You know, the Bible enabled me to navigate the challenges of each season of life. The Bible kept me, uh, you know, from promiscuity and pornography and alcohol and drugs uh, as a young man in college. And, uh, you know, many temp uh, temptations and trials and traps of the enemy uh, since that time. The Bible has been a light in my life as a believer, as a husband, as a father, an employee and as a pastor and a leader. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, God's word will light your way if only you will let us. Amen? If only you will make time for us because 
You know, at a time in our society where we see rampant corruption, perversion, moral confusion, betrayal, marriage failure, and the rapid breakdown in, in trust, in politics, religion, and sadly, even in each other, I believe we need to come back to basics because, you know, through technology, we can communicate with somebody at the other side of the world in literally one moment. You know, you have a multitude of social media platforms uh, to choose from by which you may communicate with the world, phone, email, etc., all of these things. And yet, uh, ironically, one of the greatest problems in our society right now is loneliness. Even in the UK, they now have a minister for, for loneliness. And I think it's, it's, it's tragic. It's a tragic industry. Indictment of, of where we're at because in our rush to create a perfect world, we have left some things behind. Uh, you know, there's some things along the way, things like decency and honor and love and integrity and kindness, respect, faithfulness, family, community, and faith. You see, God is calling us back to the Bible. You see, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you can't have faith without the Bible. You can't have faith in some kind of a, an abstract manner. It has to be focused. It has to have a foundation. And the foundation of our faith is the Bible. And that is why God is calling us back to the Bible, because it is the Word of God alone that has the power to transform and change not just the human heart, but society at large. Uh, let me read this quote by Alexis de Torquenville. I probably pronounced his name wrong. But he said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her rich mines and her um, vast uh, world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good and if America ever ceases to be good she will cease to be great. You know, these are prophetic words indeed that not only apply to America but I believe can be applied to the whole world. You know, Genesis chapter, thir uh, chapter 12, and we see here the story of Abraham. God called him out. Uh, the Lord said, uh, and, um, uh, and, and so Abraham obeyed God. Chapter 13, Abraham went up from Egypt, he, his wife, and all that he had, and Lot to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, um, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. We see that in chapter 12, God called Abram to go out. However, he goes into Egypt. Um, you know, I, I believe that Abram strayed from his calling to a degree. God never told him to take Lot with him. And we see that Lot was, was a, a lot of work. And, um, but his trip to Egypt, I believe, had been an unnecessary rabbit trail. Um, it certainly couldn't have been God's best 
blessed because he had allowed his own wife to be taken by Pharaoh. Thankfully, God protected her and nothing happened. But it's clear that he had gone off course, but God brought him back to the place of the altar to Bethel because sometimes we need to go back before we go forward and so Abram goes back to the place where God had touched him in the past and so let me say this I believe that as the church we need to go back to the Bible or we won't have a future but you may respond and say uh, but but why the Bible well Isaiah 43 and verse 6 says I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So here the Bible says that God has called us by his name, and he has created us for his glory. I think this is so important for us to understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 And it says, um, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, we are called to know and glorify God, our creator. Amen. Uh, You know, God is our loving creator and and we were created to, to love him to know him and to glorify him and ultimately this is our highest attainment in life and we can neither know nor glorify God without knowledge and that knowledge is found in only one place the Bible amen God's eternal infallible unchanging word you see Christ declared in his word you know that not one one jot or tittle would be removed from the law till all come to pass so Christ declared that the word of God is eternal and he also quoted extensively from the Old Testament and John chapter 5 and verse 46 and it says um, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So we see that, that you know, even, even the writings of Moses um, are, are speaking uh, prophetically about Jesus Christ. And he said, but if you do not believe his writings, how do you believe my words? Um, uh, you know, so again, the, the Old Testament prophesies about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. John 1 and verse 45, Philip found... Um, Uh, Nathaniel and told him we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph so don't be one of these Christians who dismiss the Old Testament as irrelevant no it's all God's Word the Bible contains the Old and the New Testament and we must regard both as the Word of the Lord to us amen and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 uh, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish so too the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth so clearly Jesus took the word of God literally he believed it was God's word he didn't regard them as fairy tales or fables rather he believed it was complete truth from God so in the Bible we discover a number of things and I'm going to go through them today and the first one is this the love of God how many of you know that all beautiful children's uh, song Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so so if you want to know about God's love you must read the Bible it's more than just a, a cute kids church song it is the declaration of a profound 
truth. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. So the Bible tells us that we are loved. And if we were to be honest, what was the one thing that drew us to him? It was his love. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. And it says, um, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. So it was the love of God that drew us. The Bible contains that old, old story of God's everlasting love for mankind and that's what's missing in our world today first corinthians 13 8 says love never fails amen so but we cannot give what we don't have and that's why education isn't the answer the nazis were educated but they applied their scientific knowledge to kill and to destroy just like the devil he comes to rob kill and to destroy and 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 this is why they killed those who had physical or mental disabilities but it's the bible and I think this is important. It's the Bible and not a scientific manual or a socialist manifesto that teaches us the immense value of each human life, the immense value and significance of every human life. Amen? So, and that's why those who adore, endorse abortion or vote for those who do are sadly ignorant of God and His love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know, does not know God because God is love. Amen? It doesn't say... God is power, even though clearly he has power. It doesn't say God is holy, and he is. Rather, it says God is love, and just as he has loved us, we are called to love each other. Amen? And the Bible teaches us to love. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though of all faith so that, I, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Amen? So again, the Bible teaches us to love, and love has a cost. Love has a cost. The cross is a reminder that love always pays the price. So firstly, the Bible teaches us, in the Bible we discover the love of God. Secondly, in the Bible we discover the life of God. John chapter 1 and verse 4. And it says, um, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the Bible says, in him was life, and that life was the light of man. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is the miracle of the incarnation, that the word became flesh and walked among us. 
Amen? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is act, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You will never understand who you are until you read the Bible. Amen? Because the Bible has the ability to divide between soul and spirit. Um, uh, uh, this is the tragedy. Some people in our generation, uh, you know, there are many people who seek to judge the Bible, not knowing that one day the Bible will judge them. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you will judge you in that day. John 12 and verse 48, the words that I speak to you will judge you. Why? The, word, the Bible will ultimately judge us. God's word. John 10 and verse 10, Satan comes to rob, steal, and to destroy. I've come that you might have life. Jesus declared that he came that we would have life. It's interesting. He didn't say I came that you would have a religion or that you would have a moral framework or that you would have rules and regulations. Yes, there is a mor morals obviously within the word of God, but Jesus didn't come to give us a, a religious label. He said, I've come that you would have life. And that word in the Greek is zoe, which means life. And it, it literally means the God kind of life. You see, we're called to have a miraculous life. M miracles should be normal to the believer. Amen? Uh, it should be normal for us to, to experience God. I remember many years ago when I was praying about this church, I used to get up at four or five o'clock in the morning, go for a two or three hour walk and pray and seek the face of God. And... Um, I, I, I feel sorry for, for some ministers who, who try to plant churches uh, you know, by just taking you know, a, a formula from somebody else and try and institute that. No, whatever you do in life, it's got to be born of prayer. It's got to be born out of God's presence. But I remember there was a shopkeeper who used to drive past me um, in this little village in Kildare I was living in. And uh, he said, what are you doing in the mornings going walking in those ungodly hours of the morning? I said, well, to be honest, I said, I'm praying. I said, I'm talking to God. He said, huh, I suppose that's all right. He said, the problem is, is when he starts talking back to you. It's rather, he said, the problem is when you think he starts talking back to you. And this is, unfortunately, the way people think that prayer has to be a monologue. But you know what? We serve a God who will speak to us because we've received the life of God in our spirits. Life in the same nature and quality as God himself. You see, Jesus didn't come, like I said, to give us rituals, but rather new life straight from heaven. John chapter 5 and verse 24 and uh, we, we have this glorious promise here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in me and him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 47. And it says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And so the eternal life that Christ came to give us is nothing less than the very life and nature of God himself. And this is why John chapter 1, um, addressing this, said, um, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So you see, we truly are children of God. I know that sometimes people you know, say that and they don't even understand what it means, but truly, uh, like the song goes, I am a child of God. Through Christ and through the Bible, we are children of God. You see, Jesus said in John 6 and verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh 
counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And you see, as we read this book, our hearts are transformed. Amen. Our, our, our hearts are changed and our minds are transformed in Jesus' name. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, talking about this, and I know I'm quoting a lot of scriptures, but the Bible has a lot to say about itself. And um, it says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You couldn't have been born again without the Bible. Amen. This is so important to, for us to grasp. You know, it's only because of the Bible, we've been born again through the eternal, infallible, incorruptible word of God. Jesus said in John 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the word of God contains the life of God. And as we read this living book, the life of God is released into our lives. Amen. The Bible is truly food for our soul. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. So what we did in the Bible, we discovered the love of God. Secondly, the life of God. Thirdly, the truth of God. My wife, uh, Joanna, she, she found a, a, a youth devotional and she wanted to give it to my son, Joshua, who's 10, nearly 11. And um, he said, I'm not going to read that. Look at the way they're dressed. Now, uh, the devotional had been printed back in 1991, so uh, it still looked cool to us, but to, you know, to Joshua, obviously, it just wasn't with us. And, and clearly, fashions change, but truth never goes out of style. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, my words will never pass away. You see, the word of God is eternal because it contains the truth of God. Um, you know, between 1956 and 66, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in caves near the Dead Sea in Israel, and they contained hundreds of ancient uh, copies of the scriptures, including an intact copy of the book of Isaiah. And uh, up until that point, there had been many who argued the book of Isaiah could not have been written um, 740 years before Christ because it prophesied of Jesus Christ with such accuracy. They claimed it must have been changed over the years. And yet amazingly, when they discovered uh, the, the, the scroll with the book of Isaiah, it was found to be virtually identical with our modern translations. Why? It's God's word. It's not a book. It's God's word. You see, governments fall, leaders fail, and whole civilizations crumble and disintegrate. But the word of God stands through the ages as a pillar of truth and virtue that transcends time and culture and context. First, John, First Corinthians 4 and verse 1 says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The New Living says, um, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. You see, truly preaching is a high and a holy calling, and each time I approach the pulpit, I do so with fear and trembling, because I understand it's an awesome responsibility to take God's living words 
and proclaim them before, uh, you know, eternal, uh, you know, hungry souls, you know, uh, because I think it's, it's such a profound uh, responsibility. Um, because in the Bible is revealed the sacred mysteries of God that show us the way to everlasting life. Romans 16, 25, now to him was able to strengthen you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery concealed for ages past. It's been concealed for ages and yet now through God's word, it has been revealed. These sacred mysteries that even angels long to look into. Amen. Psalm 119 and 89 in the Amplified says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven, standing firm and unchangeable. Oh, thank God that in a changing society, the word of God does not change. NIV, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens, the new living. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. It's forever settled. You know, Barack Obama, uh, President Barack Obama famously evolved on the issue of gay marriage. But while people may change, truth doesn't evolve or change with the passing of time. God's word is eternally true and therefore we can accept it and believe it and trust in it and live by it and if necessary die by it. Because this is the important thing to understand, God's word doesn't change. It doesn't evolve, like I said, with the passing of time. And so Ephesians 4.15 says, uh, you know, speaking the truth in love. You see, we're called to speak truth in love. And uh, while we speak in love, we are obligated to proclaim truth nonetheless. And let me say this. You know, the fact that your, heal that your feelings were hurt doesn't mean that you didn't hear truth. You know, ultimately, as Simon Cowell from The X Factor uh, became uh, very, very successful simply because of his ability to declare truth, brutal, <laughs> brutal truth, but it was truth and people were drawn to it. There's something about it. You know, somebody who can be perfectly honest with people. Well, the Bible says, speaking truth in love. Uh, John chapter 117, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, uh, grace must never be disconnected from truth and truth must never be disconnected from grace because the truth is found in the Bible because the gospel isn't love without truth. It's grace and truth. It's a sacred connection between the two. Isaiah 59, 14, it says, And judgment is turned away backwards, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the streets, and equity cannot enter. The New Living says, Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. You know, this week in Congress, um, as an insane sign of, uh, you know, or as a sign of the insane things to come, um, uh, you know, in the name of the so-called progressive agenda, a minister finished his praying, uh, or, or his prayer by saying, Amen and a woman. Now, amen means so be it. A woman uh, is utterly meaningless. Um, and, and, and again, you know, this utterly meaningless 
uh, exercise in political correctness, um, uh, you know, was carried out with a straight face. And, you know, this is the tragedy, is that, you know, men can play their silly little games, but God's word stands through the ages as a beacon of hope in a world gone mad. Okay, because like I said, if you're so fixated on, on a simple word like amen, just because it contains three letters, M-E-N, it's an indication of how, how petty and pathetic and, and deluded you actually are. So again, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, 2 um, Timothy 3 and verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be totally equipped, uh, complete, totally equipped for every good work. So the Bible says it's given by inspiration of God. Yes, it was written by man. Um, uh, however, it, you know, it was authored by God through man, I think is a more correct way of expressing that. And so... The Bible is the truth of God because it was born of God. And again, 2 Peter um, is a parallel verse, 2 Peter 1 and verse 20. And it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Um, so it's not a matter of my truth and your truth and whatever you feel. No, it's not of any private interpretation. Um, it says, for prophecy um, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So ultimately we recognize that God, that God's Spirit was the author of God's Word. The Bible is the truth of God because it was born of God. Now being committed to truth in a time of near universal deception can be dangerous, amen, because being faithful to God's word may mean that you get end up being excluded or defriended or branded as a radical, a heretic or right wing or being dismissed as being on the wrong side of history. Personally, I've always been more concerned about being on the wrong side of eternity because ultimately you can be celebrated by this world by saying what they want to hear, but you can end up burning in hell for eternity. So I don't think that's very wise. I want to be on the right side of eternity, but we're, we're seeing, the, because we're talking about, you know, through the Bible, uh, not only do we discover the love of God and, and the life of God, but we're talking about the truth of God. And so um, we've seen a proliferation of lies in the world of politics and media. Um, uh, fake news has, called, has led social media platforms to provide so-called fact checkers because you're not allowed to think for yourself anymore. They're there to tell you what to think in case you start getting ideas about yourself because you don't want people thinking for themselves. That could be very dangerous. But you could say that we're living in what's turning into a post-truth world. You know, this week in Georgia, a pastor was elected to the U.S. Senate who apparently is pro-choice, and that's what he's being referred to as a, a pro-choice pastor. I'm not sure what Bible he's reading. Ironically, he's the pastor of Ebenezer Church in Atlanta, the church that, um, you know, Martin Luther King uh, pastored during his time. But, you know, a pro-choice pastor makes just as much sense as a pro-adultery pastor or a pro-pornography pastor. Um, 
you know, pro-abortion pastor is an oxymoron, and yet I see many Christians are morons. And that's why they vote for people and policies that are utterly inconsistent with the Bible. This isn't about color or gender or ethnicity. This is about objective biblical truth. Okay, and I think this is important. We're talking about truth. Revelation 3.11, hold fast that which you have that no man take your crown. So holding fast to biblical truth may mean that you end up being portrayed as a bigot, but unfortunately, Christianity right now is being redefined as love without limits. But there is no marriage where love without limits applies. Domestic violence or, or adultery will nullify the greatest marriage that there is. And so too, in the same way, we're called to be faithful to our Lord and Savior and not compromise the truth of God. Because God is love, yes, absolutely. But God is also, God is love, but he's also a judge. Amen? And so it's by his truth that we will be judged. Uh, because ultimately, you're not going to be judged in eternity by what people said about you on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else. You're going to be judged by what the Word of God says. And in eternity, let me say this, there will be, I'm sure there'll be many sinners who are not surprised, but there'll be many religious people who will be surprised about where they spend eternity because of how they dealt with this book. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Sometimes people say, Pastor, I, I don't know how you speak like you speak. I have no problem speaking bluntly and frankly because I live with one life, on, uh, one eye on the eternal judgment of God. The time will come and I will give my account, not to governments, not to celebrities, not to anybody else. My, my, I will give an account to God and so will you. Hebrews 2 and verse 1, and it says, Therefore, let us give the more earnest, earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. You see, the early Christian church had grit and passion and determination, and they showed faithfulness under fire. They refused to compromise the truth. And this is why the next point is related to the truth of God, the wisdom of God. When we look at the Bible, we discover the wisdom of God, because truth is of no benefit to those without the wisdom to use and apply it. It's like a seatbelt. It only benefits those who put it on. You know, a seatbelt will be there in a crash, but it will allow you to be thrown through the windscreen if you haven't used it. And yet, sadly, many Christians ask, why, uh, why did God allow this to happen? And they come out with dumb statements like, well, it must have been God's will. God is is sovereign, etc., uh, etc. Et no, listen, we need to stop calling every unmitigated disaster God's will. Do you want to know His will? His will has been made known in His Word because that's what testament means. You've the Old and the New Testament, and testament literally means will. James 1 verse 5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to, uh, to us liberally. If you lack wisdom, God's Spirit will always bring you to His Word. John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The new living. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. You know what Jesus did? He rebuked the Pharisees for studying the scriptures and yet remaining in obstinate unbelief and ignorance of the truth. 
And I think that could describe many Christians and even ministers in today's environment. Romans 3 and verse 2. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. You see, the Jewish people are blessed and we should love and always support and pray for the Jewish people in the nation of Israel because the Jewish people were blessed with great knowledge, favor, and blessing. And we owe them a great debt for receiving, copying, and preserving the scriptures through the ages. But clearly, along with great privilege also comes greater responsibility. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 8, to whom much is given, much will be required. Because again, knowledge is of little or no use without the wisdom to apply it. And that's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, open down my eyes that I may see wondrous things in thy law. Because this is what happens. First, we read the Bible and then the Bible reads us. It's a living book. The Bible will speak to you. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. And so wisdom isn't just about knowledge because like I said, there are many educated fools. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 13, and it says, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, um, nor do they understand. So again, God wants us to gain understanding. You know, wisdom, uh, I, I, I believe, is more than just simply knowledge, it's understanding. Second uh, Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says, whose mind... Verse 3, uh, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the Bible says the God of this age has blinded their minds. Wisdom isn't just about knowledge, because like I said, there are many educated fools in this world. A PhD won't get you to heaven, and a doctorate won't stop you going to hell. Okay, so again, wisdom is so important. We must apply truth to our lives and obey it because that's true wisdom. Jesus said in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we've looked at the love of God, the life of God, the truth of God, the wisdom of God, and lastly, the liberty of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, liberty is a sacred, God-given gift, one that we must not surrender to dictators or despots. Let me read a brief speech here by Patrick Henry. March 23, 1775, to the Second Virginia Convention. His speech is credited as having swung the convention to pass a, a resolution that allowed troops from Virginia to go to the Revolutionary War. And I, I read... No man thinks more highly than I do of the patriotism as well as the abilities of the very worthy gentlemen who have just addressed the house. But different men often see the same subject in different lights. And therefore, I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to these gentlemen if entertaining, as I do, the opinions of a character very opposite to them. I shall speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. I believe that applies to the church. The question before the house is one of uh, awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom, our slavery. 
And in proportion to the magnitude of this subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that I can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God in our country. Should I keep back my opinion at such a time, uh, through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason towards my country and as an, of an act of disloyalty towards the majesty of heaven, which I revere above all earthly kings. Ministers, you need to hear that. Yes, we quote the scriptures, honor God, uh, honor the king, you know, uh, uh, submit to those in authority. But here we must remind ourselves, we are first and foremost obligated to the majesty of heaven, the God who sits on the throne of eternity. Our first obligation is to him. This is why the disciples said, we ought to obey God rather than man. So uh, back to the speech. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country at, at which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the act of the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Wow. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable and let it come. I repeat it, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gate that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is that gentleman, what is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is, it, is life so dear, or peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. You know, hundreds of years later, over 200 years later, the words of that speech still stir my soul. Do we accept submission and slavery? Or do we press forward into all that God has for us and walk in the liberty where Christ has made us free? Amen? So as you can see from this speech, liberty isn't guaranteed to the next generation. You have to fight for it or you may forfeit it. You only have to look at photos of Iran from the 1960s to see this. Look at pictures from Iran in the 1960s. You'll see men and women walking around, uh, women wearing mini skirts and dressed in the fashion of the day. Today, you look at Iran and women walking around in burqas, hanging gay people from cranes, um, you, you know, uh, arresting and throwing people in prison just because they dare to question. The point I'm trying to make is that liberty is a sacred but fragile gift. I'm not trying to be melodramatic or extreme, but it seems like we are sleepwalking into socialism. 
There's no doubt that unless things radically change from the current trajectory that our society is currently on, that our children won't recognize the world that we grew up in compared to the regulated, controlled existence that they will be forced to endure. Yet freedom and liberty are rooted in the Judeo-Christian values that gave birth to the Western world. And therefore, the further our society goes from the Bible, the less free it becomes. Because freedom is from Christ, and it's the spirit of truth, working with the word of truth, that leads us to liberty. Just as Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Let me read this quote by Edwin Meese. America was founded to be a beacon of liberty, particularly religious liberty. The framers of the Constitution sought to preserve religious liberty to such an extent that they made it the first right protected in the Bill of Rights. Why the first right? Because they considered it to be of paramount importance. Let me read the preamble to the Irish Constitution, which I believe is very relevant to, to the environment we're in right now. This is the preamble to the Irish Constitution. In the name of the Most High Trinity. It doesn't pray in the name of Allah or Krishna or any other God. It prays in the name of the Most High Trinity, from whom all authority and to whom, as our final end, all actions, both of men and states, must be referred. We, the people of Era, humbly acknowledging all of our obligations to our divine Lord Jesus Christ. This is in our constitution. And yet we have a government that treats church like it's no more important than a convenience store. Fact is, convenience stores are treated with more importance than the church. This is our constitution. And it says, Our divine Lord Jesus Christ, who sustained our fathers through centuries of trial, great free remembering their heroic and unremitting struggle to regain the rightful independence of our nation and seeking to promote the common good with due observance of prudence, justice, and charity so that the dignity and freedom of the individual may be assured, true social order attained, the unity of our country restored, and concord established with other nations, do hereby adopt, enact, and give ourselves this constitution. I think those words are powerful. And yet, if I was to be honest, I don't know if freedom and democracy still have a future. When we see social media giants like Google, Twitter, and Facebook, who seem to be a law unto themselves, censoring conservatives and anyone with whom they may disagree. This week, Twitter removed President Trump permanently. Apple and Amazon just dip, dumped Parler, which is you know, a conservative alternative uh, to, to Facebook. And, and again, you may love or loathe them, but silencing the voices of those with whom you disagree is a, is a characteristic and a mark of dictatorship, not of democracy. You know, it's ironic that the Ayatollah of Iran today can tweet. Along with, like I said, hanging gay people from cranes and, 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 and doing, you know, sponsoring terrorism all over the Middle East. He can tweet. And yet the president of the United States of America, whether you like him or loathe him, like I said, is not free to do so. 
That is an indication of the direction our society is taking. Even China yesterday released a tweet, you know, endorsing the behavior of Twitter, saying, using it as, as a confirmation, um, you know, our justification for their extreme censorship in their society. Social media fact checkers telling us what opinion to hold as if we were little babies who didn't have the ability to think and arrive at our own conclusions. Let me say this to Twitter, Facebook, and everybody else. I have a fact, check, a fact checker. It's in between my two ears. It's called a brain. It's called a brain. I have one and you have one. God gave us our own fact checker. Sadly, in this dumbed down world of, of, of shallow sound bites and headlines, people are rapidly losing the ability to think for themselves. Simply ingesting opinion from their TV or social media or celebrities, etc. You know, previous generations read books. Now we just sit and mindlessly scroll for hours at a time. Previous generations read and researched. They even went to a place called libraries. Go Google it. You'll find out what it is. They took time to think and pray and reflect. You know, we even had Sunday as a day of rest, a day of reflection, a day to think. So they thought and they reflected and they arrived at a considered opinion. I'm old enough to remember when you were taught to question. Now we're being told to trust the man. Be it big pharma, big tech, science, which has now become this unquestionable God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the head of, of Pfizer was on the front of the Irish Independent saying, you know, about the vaccine. Try, put your trust in science, inverted commas. I put my trust in Jesus. I put my trust in his word. You know, put your trust in, in, in big tech, big science, like I said, big pharma, or uh, the globalist leaders who fly into Davos uh, in their private jets and debate and, and talk about, you know, uh, and, and make decisions about how the little people are going to live. But as Christians, we can't surrender our convictions to anyone, particularly to those who demand compliance to this new liberal orthodoxy. And that's what makes us dangerous. I appear, uh, you know, I understand we may get, be uh, labeled or demonized. You know, they may seek to isolate those who dare to disagree. Let me say this, and I'm, I'm just finishing. Uh, give me two minutes and I'm finished. But you know what? I don't disagree because I want to make my life complicated. And I assure you, our lives may get complicated in the days to come. But I don't do it because I want to make my life complicated, but because I love truth. Because I love the Bible. And because I love the Bible, I love the truth. And because I love the Bible, I love liberty. Leviticus 25 and verse 10 says, Proclaim liberty throughout the land. When I was in Philadelphia at Matteo and Olivia's wedding, uh, I, I was privileged to be able to go see the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And, and you know, printed on the side of that bell, bell is Leviticus 25 and verse 10. Proclaim throughout the land liberty. And, you know, liberty right now is under assault, not just in America, but through the nations. Okay? Um, uh, Daniel Webster said this, God grants liberty only to those who love it, 
and are always ready to guard and defend it. You see, we must maintain our freedoms, particularly freedom of religion, because our first allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ, not man. You see, liberty doesn't exist in a vacuum, and surely the events of the last century and the death, destruction, and misery that were, sought, that were wrought by socialism is ample evidence of this, because liberty dies in a society where an autocratic government rules without restraint. You know, even if it is in the name of the, inverted commas, greater good, because both Stalin and Hitler could have claimed to have been doing the very same thing with all of the things they were doing, that it was for the greater good. But one thing is clear, and that is liberty and freedom is under assault. And we are naive to think uh, that a society that doesn't love God and doesn't love his word will continue to remain free. That's why we're fasting and praying, because we need to see an awakening. We can't continue on the current trajectory we are on. We're deluded if we think that a society that slaughters millions of unborn children every year in the name of of convenience will somehow regard freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. And let me say this as I finish. The worship group can come to the many pastors and leaders who refuse to call to speak on so-called hot-button topics because it was politically incorrect or because it wasn't conducive to you know uh, church growth or you found it to be counterproductive to getting a big church etc you're partly responsible for the mess that we are in because when you see christians celebrating election elected representatives who uphold unrighteous policies. I was shocked. I was shocked to see famous worship leaders celebrating the election of, uh, you know, particularly uh, Harris in America with, with her radical uh, abortion up until birth views. How can you be a Christian and read this book? But this is the problem. I think there are many Christians who don't read this book and certainly don't fear God. Because you cannot worship a God of life and endorse the taking of innocent life. That's why we must pray for repentance for the church. And next Saturday, that is going to be, we're not going to be praying from a position of self-righteousness or arrogance. We're going to be humbling ourselves as the church. And that's why pastors and leaders are going to be leading the way in this prayer meeting. We have many, many different pastors are going to be coming to this. Because as leaders, we need to repent. Because when the world is in a mess, ultimately, the buck stops here. We are the church. Much of the responsibility is ours. And so, let me, as I, as I finish, whether freedom reigns without or not, and, and we have to be honest, whether or not freedom reigns without, we have the blessed assurance that freedom will reign within, in our hearts, to Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 Corinthians seven thirty one where he writes that those who use the things of this world as not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. The world with all of its desires and all of its delusions will pass away, but the word of God endures forever. And so read this book. Build your life on it. Determine to put it into practice in your life, and no matter what comes, you will not be ashamed. Heaven and earth will pass away and my words will never pass away.
Thank you, Lord. Let's love the Bible. Let's study it like never before. Let's study it on our knees. Let's understand it. You know, I got so many Bibles everywhere in my house, in my office, in my bedroom, various rooms. There's Bibles everywhere because I'm always looking to read the Bible and I want to do studies with my children. But you know, I've got a big Matthew Henry's Bible uh, commentary. And you know, one of the things I was struck by was George Whitfield. Apparently, he read it through three or four times. This is a huge commentary. He read it three or four times through. The last time he read it through on his knees. And then we wonder why these men experienced revival. I'll tell you why. They loved God and they loved his word. You know, the book of Isaiah says, On this one I will look on him who is of a humble and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And so... I just want to finish by praying a prayer with you. We must be a people that tremble at the word of God. And so, Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We just repent, Lord God. We repent of our prayerlessness, Lord. We repent of being distracted by worldly entertainment. We repent of not giving more time to your word. And we ask today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us a hunger for your word because you said man doesn't live by bread alone. Your word is food for our soul. And so, Lord God, we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a deeper understanding of your word and a greater hunger for it like never before. In Jesus' name. I pray for every person watching, Lord God, that they would... Take their Bible from off the shelf, Lord, that they would get a pen, that they would start to highlight it and, you know, underline it and write notes in it and study it and, and seek to understand, Lord, because your spirit will teach us, Lord, if only we will open that Bible and read it in Jesus' name. Back to the Bible. Bring us back to the Bible, Lord. Bring the church back to the Bible. Bring us back to the Bible, Lord. For too long, the church has tried to be woke and politically correct and play games. No, we must come back to the Bible. We must come back to the Bible and understand this is your word, Lord. This is God speaking to me. And just like Isaiah, Lord, here I am, send me. Help us to put your word into practice. Help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only, to see our own selves. In Jesus' name. Forgive us for those times where we've disobeyed your word, where we've neglected or ignored your word, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing our minds to be uh, contaminated with the things of this world, whereby we begin to question your word or begin to hold to beliefs our values that are inconsistent with your word. Help us, Lord, to not be hypocrites, Lord. Help us to live your word, Lord. Help us to walk in the light, Lord, because you said if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. I'd like to finish by praying a prayer. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have an eternal soul, and one day you will stand before the judge of heaven and earth. And in that day, there will be no excuse. You will be judged by this word. This is why you must repent and you must respond to the offer of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have the victory over sin and shame and death and destruction. Hallelujah. You can have a hope that no matter what may come, that you know that heaven is your home and that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the glorious promise that we have that we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sin so that you could be forgiven. So today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray a very simple prayer with you right now. And I ask you to just simply pray this prayer with me right now. Say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin. I believe that you lived a perfect life. And that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my life, Lord Jesus Christ, and forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Praise God.